are symptoms trying to tell us to bring the body back into homeostasis. Today, we unpack that with Dr. John Martini. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show number 278. I have the wonderful Dr. John Martini back on the show with us today. If you have not heard the last couple of shows we've done over the years with John, uh, just Google Lotox Life, Dr. John Martini, and all three shows will come up, including today's, uh, that John has joined us for. Uh, and each time, I think he's one of the guests that challenges norms the most out of um, most of the guests that I, I have in, in the sense that he is always getting us to think so far outside the box from what is being taught and discussed. Uh, he moves us from the granular into the conceptual from the nitpicking into the philosophy. And today, uh, it certainly rocked my boat and I've been thinking about it ever since this interview, just how much our physical symptoms that present, whether it be allergies, intolerances, sensitivities, um, hives, you know, whatever it might be, he's challenging us to look for situations that may have actually contributed to the evolution of those uh, symptoms. And we, (laughs) I mean, some of the stuff is just crazy that he talks about today and yet makes so much sense. So I just want to put in a duty of care here. We do hear John talk about radical reversal of things, even such as an anaphylactic allergy. So I want to be absolutely sure and remind everybody here, this is not, you need to throw out your EpiPen. You're going to be fine with peanuts tomorrow. If you have currently got an anaphylactic allergy to peanuts, always speak to your doctor first, but this is more to just plant the seed and begin a bit of an exploration for us all. I'm exploring it from the perception of extreme mold sensitivity uh, to really start having a look at what is impacting our nervous systems to then potentially create these issues down the track. And it's really, really interesting and very, very thought provoking. So that is my, my warning and my welcome to you on, uh, John's show. He is a human behavior specialist, researcher, best selling author, educator and founder of the Demartini method, which is a revolutionary tool in modern psychology. I know lots of low toxers who've actually done and experienced incredible change in their lives from doing, uh, one of the breakthrough experiences. And uh, I still remember being a teenager and seeing Dr. John Martini on Oprah. That was the first time I heard of him and I'd been following his work ever since. So I'm going to hook into that conversation in just a little minute, but I want to remind you and thank you, uh, Oz Climate, for being our major sponsor this year. You have 10% off all year round with the code LOTOXLIFE of their excellent uh, dehumidifiers and air purifiers. I am a huge fan. Uh, you can always give them a buzz, talk about your floor plan. 
ask about the climate that you live in and ask for some direct advice for your situation as to which appliances are going to be best for you. But not a summer goes by or not a rainy spell goes by that I don't thank Oz Climate every day for their excellent dehumidifiers in controlling that ambient humidity below 60% so that mold can't grow. Uh, so there's that. And then we have the wonderful Walida with us this uh, month. And uh, they're doing some pretty amazing things this month uh, from a fundraising perspective, but also in terms of what they're giving you, Aussies. So you have 20% off all Walida products. Walida.com.au is the website and your code is Walida April. So for the whole month of April, every skin food purchase – so that's anything from the skin food range. They have a few now. And I'm going to talk to you about one of the new ones in a sec. Uh, $2 of that purchase is actually going directly to uh, help transition Australian farmers toward regenerative agriculture practices. So you guys know from my last book, Lotox Life Food, just how uh, important regenerative agriculture transition is to the health of our planet, to biodiversity, uh, to pest and herb uh, herb um, control in a more natural way, not requiring all those agricultural chemicals, but also, of course, to the sequestration of carbon and the improvement of the amount or, or percentage of carbon organic matter in our soils. Now, Carbon 8 uh, is one of my favourite not-for-profits to donate to. Uh, on behalf of our Lotox Club members, we make a donation every single month to the work Carbon 8 does. Uh, and their mission is to get Australian soil, which is currently on an average of about 1% organic matter, up to 8% organic matter. And the carbon sequestration ramification of that increase is huge in terms of what benefit it will give to not only the landscape, but of course, to our overall ability to sequester carbon as a country and as a world, anyone um, moving toward regenerative agriculture methods uh, reaps this benefit, not only for their own landscape, but for the planet. And we all know that when it's a win for us and a win for the planet, that tends to mean it's actually a real win for long-term change uh, in our beautiful world. So $2 from every skin food product sold in April and May is going towards Carbonate to help the Aussie farmers transition to regenerative agriculture. I couldn't think of a better cause to give to right now than that and to get skin food in exchange for that. So they've actually just launched a skin food body lotion as a part of their body lotion range. Uh, and it is such a hero. What an amazing time to launch it coming into winter for us here in the Southern Hemisphere. And so if you've loved the richness and the treatment aspect of skin food, that original thick uh, skin food that's so good on the cracked heels, elbows, uh, even as a flight cream or a, a weather protective barrier for the face. If you, you know, if you're a farmer and you're working in really windy, um, harsh winter winds, uh, it can just be the most amazing savior of a product. So now there's that beautiful light textured version of it, still with all of the nourishing benefits of the original skin food, but in body lotion format. So you might want to check that one out as well. Uh, and a little um, nod to the fact that it's made from 97% percent 
recycled plastic, which is fantastic. And so for those of you who are a vegan in the audience who think, oh no, but skin food isn't vegan and that's important to you, the lotion, the body lotion is a vegan formulation. So it's great for everybody. Lots of beautiful plant extracts, rich oils, very nourishing, excellent if you have dry skin. So a reminder, 20% off all Walita products from April to 7th of May, excludes gift vouchers and things that are already on special. And your code is Walita April. Now let's start this incredible conversation with Dr. Jim, John Martini. Enjoy guys. Hello, John. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to have you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you back. I urge everybody who has not listened to the first two shows I've done with uh, John to definitely go back in time. They are absolutely brilliant. And I've put the links to those in the show notes. But today, where I wanted to take the conversation was to really focus on what a wellness mindset is. What is going on with wellness and how can we cultivate a mindset that comes from within instead of always searching out there for wellness? Okay. Uh, we've got a couple of days to, to answer this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to be spending the whole day together. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, good. Um, I'm going to call wellness wholeness first. Uh, wellness or health, sometimes used, comes from the word wheel, W-E-A-L, which also wealth comes from. They both come from the same source. And so I'm going to define wellness as wholeness. And here's how I'm going to describe it from a mental perspective. You asked me about mental attitude. If we are walking through life and we meet somebody that we have some sort of a admiration for, maybe even an infatuation with, <clears throat> we are conscious of the upsides and partly unconscious of some of the downsides. Of course, as we get to know them, we'll eventually surface those and become aware of those but we're temporarily blind and ignorant of the downsides and unconscious of the downsides. We have missing information. Claude Shannon in his information theory <clears throat> said that disorder means missing information. So we don't see the order. We see one side of this individual. If we also walk down the street and we meet somebody that we're resentful to, that we just go, oh, disgusted by we're conscious of the downsides, unconscious of the upsides. And now we're ignoring and blind and unconscious and missing information on the downsides. Pardon me, on the upsides. We're concentrating on the downsides. Both of these initiate because of the stacked associations we have in our subconscious mind with past experiences. Impulse towards or an instinct away from this person, this individual. And we activate the parasympathetic nervous system or the sympathetic nervous system, rest or digest, fight or flight, as a response. And we lateralize our autonomic nervous system. We polarize it. And we have now one dominating over the other instead of a poised present state. 
the autonomic nervous system uses acetylcholine and norepinephrine and other transmitters indirectly to initiate epigenetic alterations at the cell wall as signal molecules to create a cascading set of enzymes that lead to transferring molecules and what they call acetylation or methylation, which causes gene expression to be modified, which then creates proteins to be presented and packaged differently according to the perceptions. Now these perceptions are incomplete. So the cell then responds to this misperception with a incomplete awareness, which we call disorder. It then gives rise to what we call symptoms or signs, depending if you're a doctor looking. These signs and symptoms are actually, if properly interpreted, feedback mechanisms to our authentic conscious awareness to help us see the side we ignored. The sympathetic nervous system oxidizes the body. And so it methylates with epigenetics to neutralize oxidation. The parasympathetic acetylates, which is where it reduces and it uses acetylation, which is an oxidizer to counterbalance the physiology to try to bring homeostasis. Part of the epigenetic expression and the creation of symptoms are actually homeostatic in nature. So our, our physiology is creating symptoms to try to make our conscious awareness whole if we're knowing how to interpret it. But because most people are not living in a highly objective world rationally and the market markets to the irrational by feeding them opium, trying to get rid of the things that are pain and trying to get pleasure like an, an animal. We are now under the assumption that health is symptom-free. But in fact, wellness does not mean symptom-free. Let me give you an example. I'm, I'm, I'm building this thing. Let's say, let's say you go and you have um, a distressful situation that you've labeled and you have got an imbalanced perspective and you're infatuated with somebody or resentful to somebody, and you fear the loss of the infatuated, or you fear the gain of the person you resent, and you've got a phobia, and that distressed response, and those subjective biases and missing information creates these epigenetic alterations and changes the neurotransmitter ratios and neuromodulators and neurohormones and hormone ratios. And those hormones happen to be ghrelin or leptin. So some people, when those hormones are thrown off, they'll overeat for distress or undereat during distress. You get two types. And that's because of the subjective biases that initiate those changes. And all these transmitters have what they call introceptive feedback systems to try to normalize them back into balance. We have amazing feedback systems in the wisdom of the bodies, Walter Cannon said. And if we balance our perception, they come into homeostasis. If we balance our perception, we have wholeness in our awareness. We're not ignoring parts and not having missing information. Therefore, we don't have disorder. We have order. We're in a state of ordination. 
if we're infatuated, we're in a place of subordination. We put them on a pedestal. If we're in resentment, we come from a superordination. We put them, put ourselves on the pit and put them in the pit, put ourselves on a pedestal, put them in the pit. But if we come into ordination, we have reflective awareness and we see them as equals to us. We don't, we don't have missing information. We see reflective awareness. When we have wellness and reflective awareness, our physiology doesn't have to create symptoms to guide us back into homeostasis. The symptoms are feedback mechanisms. So if all of a sudden you pig out because of the distress and you wake up the next morning with bloat and cramps and uh, gas and puffy eyes and stomach ache, et cetera, and you go to the medical profession, allopathic, and you take you tell them, well, I'm having these symptoms. Oh, here, take an antacid, take an antiflatulent, take an antihistamine, take an this, take a that. And they assume that those symptoms are illness. But in fact, those are actually a normal, healthy response to pigging out. Those are your normal responses and physiological responses for actually wellness, offering you feedback to let you know you overate and your perceptions are, are not balanced. So I'm a firm believer that wellness is wholeness of awareness and a mind that's balanced and is fully aware, fully conscious, mindful, if you want to call it that, objective, equanimitous, uh, reduce the symptoms. I've been for, as you know, almost 40 something years in the involved in health field. And I'm certain as Pythagoras had said, and as Galen had said, and all the great healers through the ages have said that a balanced physiology um, is a byproduct also of a balanced mind. You can't have an imbalanced mind and expect a balanced physiology. It's not going to happen. So asking quality questions that make you fully conscious, which is what your intuition is attempting to do to make you conscious of the unconscious, to make you fully conscious, uh, liberates you from those autonomic responses, epigenetic responses and symptomatology that have been misinterpreted because of the opium of the masses selling us to get rid of symptoms. We haven't been trained. We haven't been trained on applied physiology. We haven't been trained on how the symptoms reveal things. For instance, if all of a sudden you perceive somebody that's going to support you and you don't feel challenged, your autonomics are going to skew towards the parasympathetic side. It's going to go towards something you want to consume. You've, we've all been infatuated with somebody and wanted to nibble on them or chew on them or suckle on them or whatever, because they're, they're, you want to consume that. That's the parasympathetic. And then what happens is when it does, and we have that, uh, that feeling, we have the digestive system increases in the little uh, mucoid cells, the goblet cells, creates mucus. Uh, it increases the circular and longitudinal fibers and activates peristalsis and it increases secretion and allows the bowel transit time to speed up and allows the fluids to move on and the digestive systems to work and you digest your foods really well. But if you perceive somebody challenging you, the parasympathetic shuts down, the sympathetic comes online, the fight or flight response occurs, the goblet cells dry up, the, the, the circular muscles shut down, our peripheral muscles come into place with tension, our digestive system shuts down, and now we get a slower bowel transit time, we have a harder bowel, we get drier bowels. All of our symptoms are feedbacks to our perception. I've taken every cell in the body 
every known cell and looked at how the autonomics respond to perceptions and looked at the symptoms and charted those symptoms and seen how these autonomics are actually giving feedback. And nobody's educating people on that hardly. Mm, Mainly because people don't want to know that. They don't want the responsibility and accountability. Mm -hmm. There's too much responsibility and accountability. So they'd rather just take a pill for every ill, right? They'd rather just blame something on the outside for their reality instead of actually being accountable and learn how to balance their mind and balance their physiology and bring wellness to their thing. And I call that wholeness. You're whole and you're seeing life as a whole, not as parts and, and subjective biases. And what's interesting is the people that actually have these symptoms, they're functioning in a different part of the brain. They're more subcortical. That's why they're in survival mechanism. And, and the more polarized you are in the amygdala and the subcortical areas of the amygdala, the more you seek the pleasure and avoid the pain, the more you fear the loss of the pleasure, the more you fear the gain of the pain and the more phobic you become and fantasies you become to escape this distress. So you're living in a sense of dissociated state, which is creating the symptoms. And if you reclaim things and have reflective awareness and know how to ask questions to balance the mind, I've watched symptoms dissolve in minutes that are chronic when we do that. Wow. Every weekend in the breakthrough wow. experience, I watch these transform. So there's no doubt. Now, there's no doubt that what we eat has an impact. There's no doubt about the people we associate and how we interact with our life and our lifestyle. And there's many variables. But even those are derivatives many times of our mental state. So, yeah, I, so I don't want to negate yeah. them. I just want to incorporate them. Um, so I wanted to ask you then, John, um, let's take someone who can't eat rice without getting completely constipated. Are you, is what you're saying, is there already something underlying in an imbalanced mind that then creates the propensity for weaknesses in dealing with various foods? Or let's say it's someone who's really sensitive to electromagnetic fields and there are some phone towers down the road and they get heart palpitations. Um, we can, can you unpack that? So is it a chicken or the egg scenario that we're trying to get to the bottom of here? Well, I don't want to say that there's not an electromagnetic effect on physiology because there is subtle. Mm. Some are way more sensitive than others. Some are uh, psychotically reactive because I've taken people that are claiming to do that and ask some new sets of questions of, that reassociate their perceptions to the electromagnetic field. So what I, most of that is subjectively biased by highly polarized um, uh, articles and literature that's out there. That's you know misinformation sometimes. There's no doubt that electromagnetism has an effect on bonds it can cause vibration, it can cause rotation, it can cause translation and breaking of bonds depending on the electromagnetic spectrum and how long it's there and what molecules are there. And so there is a science to that, but there's also a misinformation field around that science. So I don't want to say that it doesn't have an effect because radiation in the form of ultraviolet and, and uh, X-ray and gamma without a doubt causes change in physiology. And maybe chronic long-term radio signals and microwaves can in some people. But 
when we actually look at those, they're, 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 the electromagnetic spectrum, we're used to a visible spectrum. And the long-wave radio is longer wavelengths and has less power and energy and influence than visible. And if we live in visible and we're blaming the long-wave radio, it's, it's a little irrational. The high short-wave, high-frequency short-wave um, things, we know that it alters vibration, translation, rotation of molecules. And it can cause mutations. It can cause uh, activation of cell proliferations. And there's many things it can do. So we have to put the science to it, take out the misinformation. And sometimes people read a book, they subordinate to that authority. Then they become more sensitive because they're now judging it. And then now all of a sudden they're blaming and they have a false attribution by it, assuming that the reason why they're having the feelings you have is because of this electromagnetic field. In some cases, it may be, but it's harder to document that. Sometimes it's the, the mind component there. So what I do is I take those individuals and I go, so what is the upside and the benefit of the electromagnetic field around them? And they go, if they can't say a benefit, they have a subjectively biased view. If they can see only the drawbacks and not the benefits equal to the drawbacks, they have a subjective bias and they're gonna have a sympathetic response and it's the sympathetic response, not the electromagnetic field that's now causing their reaction. Yeah. That's why they're sensitive because they have a perception there. There's an electromagnetic field there. I've been told that's bad. Mm. There's, there are people that didn't even know there was any symptoms about that until that became aware and nobody paid attention to it. Mm -hmm. So there's that component that we have to filter out. But I can go in there and stack up the associations and change the ratios of perception around electromagnetic fields and find out the benefit side of it, balance it out, and I can watch their symptoms disappear. Just gone. I've seen people that are sensitive to food. I've seen peanut allergies, cashew allergies, nut allergies of all types, all different types of food allergies, cat dander allergies, you name it. And I am absolutely certain that many of those are not because of the proteins that are initiating these antibody reactions because I can change the association they've made. Let me give you an example. We had a lady that was uh, in Toronto, attend, attended a program I was doing there. And she had anaphylactic shock, was hospitalized nine times if she gets around the slightest bit of wheat. Okay. And this wow. is now from age, wow. age one to age 37. So 36 years of anaphylactic shock, nine hospitalizations, sometimes minor re reactions, sometimes major. So we, we, we took back and we found out the very first time she had any reaction to it, we found out that the, she was being fed wheat mush in a high chair and her father and mother went into a ballistic fighting match and she thought she was going to lose her mommy and daddy, right? They were screaming and yelling and, and she associated eating wheat mush with that experience and that association. The only way to diffuse the family conflict and stop them from fighting is to have a reaction. And it became an effective reaction because every time she did that, they'd stop their conflict. So she now has associated wheat with reaction. When, so whenever she got into conflict, she became more sensitive to the wheat and she'd have anaphylactic shock. She wasn't in conflict. She could eat, get around the wheat, wouldn't have as much of a reaction, but she'd have a reaction. So we went in there, went back into those experiences, neutralized those associations and perceptions. And she spent 
about an hour a day for six days, neutralizing every anaphylactic shock she had, finding out the benefits, finding out the upsides, balancing out whatever she was perceiving with the opposite perception. And on the seventh day, she went over there and did not have a fear now because she's neutralized it and took her finger, licked it and touched a tiny crumb of wheat that would normally cause a reaction, no reaction. She waited about a minute or so, no reaction. Touched a bigger crumb of wheat and eventually took a big bite of the wheat, didn't have a reaction. And that was about 26 years ago. Never had another wheat reaction since. So many of these reactions are associations that have been accumulated that people aren't aware of. And so if they have a rice reaction, I can't say and guarantee that rice automatically causes constipation. Mm. White rice may not help because there's no fiber in it. If, but whole grain rice has fiber and it does stimulate usually some peristaltic action. But white rice may, but that's not the cause of it if, unless that's the only thing that they're eating possibly. So, but they may have an association. They, they ate rice, may have felt that they were, um, you know, constipated and they have associated with that. And now if I do, I can't eat that. I have people that go, I've had hundreds of people that said, I can't eat wheat. It, I get, I grow and just swell and I have bloat or I have, um, you know, intolerance to weed and gluten thing. I've heard, I hear all those things all the time. I've neutralized hundreds of people that had gluten intolerances, hundreds. <laughs> wow. These, these associations wow. that people have, these associations that people have are not, we, we tend to want to blame some external source instead of be accountable for our own associations we make with things. Now, you're going to have people that are going to listen to this. Well, I have it and you're wrong. And I swear that I get that every week. And I said, okay, come here and let me actually do an actual session with you and see if that's true. And then I go and neutralize it. I have people with irritable bowel syndromes and, you know, glucose, even glucose intolerance is supposed to be a lack of enzyme. I've seen people not have that reaction. We have way more associations with food than we realize. We also have people that automatically, if they get around, I had a lady that the only time she felt love and affection was when her dad had her sitting on her lap and feeding her. So she would eat to feel daddy's affection. That was, oh, her, wow. that was her association. And then we found out that she married a guy that had a fantasy about uh, little butts and, and small. She, he had a, a, an infatuation with you know, little girl bodies almost. And so she was going to try to get daddy's affection by eating, but then she would feel guilty. And then her, her husband would, she's afraid her husband's going to reject her because he's always looking at porn with little girl bodies, you know, thin little butts and stuff. And so she was caught. And so she started bulimia. She'd overeat to get daddy's affection. Then she vomited to get her husband's affection. And she was caught in this cycle. Wow. And we had to go in there and wow. neutralize the, these associations she made. We had to go find out where the affection was in another form. And, and it was, it was really, we took about three hours to neutralize the whole thing. Hmm. The bulimia, the, the, the volatilities in diet, all those stopped. So I see this all the time. This is a regular thing, but people don't talk about it because they have to be accountable. <laughs> they got nothing hmm. to blame now. Wow. I'm wondering if I should just giddy pig myself in this moment around gluten intolerance, which I, yeah, <laughs> I've had it for yonks a really long time. Yeah. And well, it was you're, associated. You're back. 
it was associated with tonsillitis. So eat gluten, get tonsillitis. And that was why I stopped eating gluten. And then the top tonsillitis stopped as well. So how do you unpack that? Well, I don't know what we may have had. You may have had the first tonsillitis and you may have been eating wheat associated with it. And those got associated. I don't know. I'd have to go back and trace and we'd have to find out and trace back and, and do a little analysis on it and try to figure out when this first time you ever had a reaction. Because there's other things that can initiate tonsillitis too that may have been associated with weed eating too. That all it takes is an association. There are conditioned reflex, as Skinner said, and conditioned reflex like Pavlonian reflexes. And you can create a reaction, I guarantee you. There are people that have reactions around people not food, around people. I'll give you an example. I love this one. This is the first time I became, I became interested in this when I was 20. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going, I'm walk. I'm, I'm sitting into a microbiology class at Dr. Jurchik's class in University of Houston. And I'm just sitting there waiting for him to come to the class. I'm sitting up in the amphitheater. And all of a sudden through this door was this stunning, I mean, stunning 20-year-old brunette model spanish model she was stunning i was like my tongue was hanging out <laughs> oh i was infatuated blind to the downsides right yeah high maintenance basically so she came up and i smelled her perfume and she sat right in front of me and i had a conversation with her and we started walking out together and i started dating her now her father was a colonel in the army her mother was a relatively disempowered woman who didn't have a lot of education came from Mexico, um, didn't have, uh, you know, any business, didn't have an income, um, was socially isolated at home with the kids, a, a lot of disempowered areas with an assertive husband to balance it, right? This, these pairs of opposites, Mary. And she was afraid that her daughter was going to run off the bay and get married. And the more aggressive the father was, the more the kids supported her to protect her. Hmm. particularly this girl. Now she had another daughter and another daughter and the same thing occurred. And what I, I noticed that when I would go over to her, to, to their house, I would eat some yogurt. But if I ate yogurt at their house, I got a bumpy mouth. All these bumps broke out on my mouth. I'm going, what the hell? I don't ever get a re reaction to uh, yogurt. I eat yogurt almost every single day at the dorm. I never get a reaction to it. But every time I was at her house, I would get a reaction. And I thought that's weird. So I decided to bring my yogurt from the, from the university of Houston and not eat it till I got to the house. And I still had a reaction. So if I got ate there, I thought maybe it's the store they're getting it from that's causing a reaction. Maybe <laughs> it's going bad or something. I, I, I was trying to figure out why is this occurring? It wasn't, it's just plain yogurt. It wasn't a reaction from fruit or anything else. And then I realized it was the mother was rejecting me because if I drew away her daughter, she had no protection. Mm. So she was giving me this kind of evil eye. I don't want you to be with my daughter. And he was telling me that I'm the, this is my, here's my future son-in-law. So he was infatuating me. She was resenting me and protecting herself. And I could feel this tension. And I was kind of like walking on eggshells around her mom. And my persona was reacting and associating that with yogurt. I brought that same yogurt that I bought there back to the dorm, no reaction. But anytime I was around her, I would have a reaction to the yogurt because I associated a particular yogurt 
with her. Now, when we broke up, I've never had a reaction to yogurt ever again. But that's what can happen with associations. We can make incredible associations with anything. We can make food associations. We can make pollen associations. I love watching people that think they have pollen associations, dander associations. I had a man in Toronto one time at a dinner and he says, I'm going to have to cancel dinner. I said, no, 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 come. I want to show you what we can do with it, with the allergies. So he comes, his eyes are watering. He can barely see. He's got a cat reaction because his cat jumped up on his, and his uh, jacket and he put the jacket on and got the dander in his eyes and his eyes are thing. He said, this is a three day deal for me. I went in there and changed the associations he made with cats. One by one, we spent about an hour and a half to two hours almost. And we changed all the associations with cats he had and his eyes just clearly, he says, this is normally three days. It took about 45 minutes to eyes are starting to go down. Didn't have a reaction after that. That was many years ago, no reactions. So he changes association and we don't realize these associations are going on and causing these reactions. And I've debated with medical doctors and specialists and everything else because they have their, you know, their desensitization processes and all these other processes. And I'm not negating those also have value. But this is something that's real because we've done enough cases of this. And I've got thousands of facilitators I've trained are using this and applying this and getting the same kind of results. So it's not some placebo just by me and my belief system. It's something that's demonstrable. Mm. So we don't want to just blame some outside thing. And then, because there are people, you know, you've seen them, they have a laundry list of things they're allergic to. And so their freaking life is basically on hold because they can't eat anything. You've seen these things. Yeah. They're ridiculous. And I'm sitting there going, I had a lady that came in one time with a, a, a list that was 200. She's allergic to all this. And she's trying to live in this crazy life that she's doing. And I sat down and we started to do, we didn't have to do all of them. We only did about five or six of them and started. The other ones started to melt away because she realized she now had the power again. She had made these associations and she was blaming these things. And now, and then and, and compounding it with an anxiety. Now, if I'm around them, I'm going to be sick. And now I'm around them and be sick and compounding it. And then being angry at people if they had those things around her, how dare you do that in front of me? It was compounding. No. We balance out our perception. We change our physiology, our autonomic, our pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory systems are autonomically initiated. Bring those into balance and they check the cytokines, check themselves back in. Even the white blood cells are regulated by the parasympathetic nervous system. The red blood cells are more sympathetic. They're for fight or flight. In case you get injured, you got to bleed. It's there for your platelets are more sympathetic. Your white blood cells are rest and digest and they repair. And they're responsive to things that are association and you can actually get a sympathetic and parasympathetic ratio imbalanced and make white blood cells respond with too much or too little histamine, etc. I've seen, I had a lady that had wheels and, and urticaria as they called it. And we found out that every time she thought about a guy asso associating with her daughter, she ended up dating a guy that tried to have in, uh, a sex with a daughter, a pedophilic sex with her daughter when she was a very young girl. She felt guilty about the, the idea. She kicked the guy out. And then she's always now protecting the daughter. Well, the daughter is associated with that. So anytime anybody ever tried to do anything with the daughter, a guy with a daughter, she got urticaria. Mm. And then her daughter had to take care of her to protect her daughter from having to be with a guy. Mm. We had to clear that. We, we cleared the association we made. We found out how it benefited. 
The daughter wasn't as reactive as the mother was, but it was a subconscious strategy she was using to keep her daughter from being infected by a man. And it was it, the second that was cleared, no urticaria. Wow. I've seen this. I mean, wow. it's amazing what our body is able to do if we change and balance up the mind. So I say that wellness is wholeness, wholeness of awareness. And would you say, you know, not everyone can perhaps come on a breakthrough experience or people are hearing this right now and just going, oh, my gosh, mind blown. What can I do today? Could could someone literally just start to journal and try and trace back associations and have a bit of a play, um, a they, bit of a play with this? You know, there that can help. Um, learning. The right questions is the key. Mm. Learning how to ask the right questions. Um, I've tried. I, I published. Uh, well, I created a textbook on this, and um, but it's, it, I never published it for the general audience. It was mainly for health professionals. And so, I, I, can they be trained in it? Yes. Uh, will they be able to just do it and and try to figure it out? Probably not. I don't want to say they can't, but probably not. But if they go in there and stop and see if they can first find the pattern and look at the associations they've made, and then if they do nothing but ask, where's the opposite? What are they? So if they see, well, every time I do this, it makes me sick to my stomach. What is the benefit? They, they won't be able to see it at first. They'll go, well, well, there is no benefit. There is. Go find it. And once you stack up the associations and start finding the other side of the equation, the response, I guarantee it changes. So, but they have to be accountable. And, and usually that at first, until they've done one, when they've done one and they know the result, they can do it. But they may have to be guided a bit on the first time and know how to ask the right questions. Mm. I wish I could just tell you that's a simple process. It's, and it's a lot of years of me to figure that out myself. But um, can it be done? Yes. Will people endure the questions and stay with it till the result? Possibly, but probably no, because they, they, they don't want to do the work and be accountable. And they, mm -hmm. they, they, they may not believe it, so they may not stay and endure it. But if a person will go in, balance out their perceptions associated with different foods, I guarantee you the change in their, their response to those foods will change. Incredible. I've seen people have difficulty absorbing things and their body's rejecting it. Wow. It's amazing. You know, there's a, there's a thing called micro uh, um, chimerism. They found out that in, uh, when a mother is having a baby during gestation, nine months, uh, there are times when mother's cells come over into the baby and other times the baby cells come over to the mother and um, they cross in the bloodstream and they become in, in, indoctrinated or in, in, incorporated into the tissues. So a baby can have a mother's tissue inside mm -hmm. cells. And so can the mother have that. And so while they're in the infatuation and nurturing phase, you know, that works fine. In fact, if you really subordinate to your child, you'll sacrifice your cells and whatever's needed for the child. And if the baby is infatuated with you and subordinated to you, it'll sacrifice for the mother. We only will sacrifice for anything we put on a pedestal and we'll sacrifice uh, others for ourselves for things we put in the pit. But we found out later that later on, that very mother, if you have a major resentment to her, you can attack her cells and quite an autoimmune response. 
And so we can associate an autoimmune response with microchimerism. And these are because of association. We don't have that response until we all of a sudden have a major conflict and a major resentment to our, our parent. And then all of a sudden we start getting an autoimmune response to those cells that are left over in, from the mother. And the same thing that we do to on our own cells, um, we can actually do to food content and other associations in our mind. Not even just food. It could be there are people sensitive to their environment, the smell of uh, the carpet or you know, these subtle, subtle things that are, are you know, you, you can't avoid. You're running your life in a sense of you're, you're in a toxic world and you can't even live and you're frightened to death. Those all can be neutralized by new associations. Not to say that they don't have an effect on physiology, but the exaggerated response that people have many times are just sometimes crazy. Their, their life is crazy because they're trying to avoid everything in their life. Yeah, I can definitely attest to working on balancing the mind. Uh, I had hideous reactions to mold. And I'm talking like scary kind of like, is this the time when you're supposed to call the ambulance? Like really just thinking I was right at the edge of absolute danger zone and um, everything from heart to twitching, tremor, like crazy stuff. And, yeah, sure, getting out of water-damaged buildings is important. Um, but it wasn't until I started working on the nervous system and uh, developing a healthier balance within myself mentally uh, that I started to realise I was less reactive, not only just to mould, but then to everything. Whole thing. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. So I'm, I, I don't want to say that it's a panacea because that's not, you know, that's foolish. But I can say that we sometimes overlook our role of our perceptions in our physiology. Mm. And I, 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 Walter Cannon wrote a book called The Wisdom of the Body. Claude Bernard talked about homeostasis. We have an amazing homeostatic mechanism. Almost every transmitter in the body, every regulator, every signal molecule from, from the time we're a zygote to the time we're formed and at birth all the way through our life, these all have homeostatic feedback systems. Every transmitter has it. So we have a mechanism trying to balance it, but our perceptions are what keep it skewed. So until we have a balanced mind, we're not going to have a balanced physiology. Not going to happen. And treating the individual, now, can taking nutrition and eating different change the chemistry and affect our mind? Yes. Can our minor check affect our assimilation, absorption, and chemistry? Yes. It's a two-way street. So if you go to a, 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 a nutritionist, they're going to see the same condition from a nutritional perspective. You go to a psychiatrist, he's going to do it with a drug. Go to a psychologist, they're going to do it with a therapy. You go to a chiropractor, they're going to do it with an adjustment. You go to a naturopath, they're going to do it with some sort of natural approach. Go to a, a medicine, they're going to probably give you a pharmaceutical thing. All of them have a place. They're all approaching the idea of balancing it from different perspectives. The reason why I like this whole holistic perspective, this, this uh, mind perspective, is it gives people the power back. Mm. Otherwise, you got to go and get all those other things out there and people out there to take care of you. I want people to have their power back. And do you That's think, why I concentrate on that. Do you think people might be scared about what life would be having your power back? Like, do you see that sometimes being a hindrance, like fear of your own success almost? I've never seen a fear of success. Mm -hmm. That's never, I've never seen it. I've, I've, that's not ever been seen. 
I have people that label that, but when we break it down and we find out that there's not a fear of success, there's a fear of if you become uh, very business intense, you will now get hell at home or you'll not have time for your kids or mm -hmm. you will be perceived as greedy or there's other things that underlie that never seen fear of success. Mm -hmm. I fear a fear of those, the fear of not being smart enough, the fear of, uh, of failing at business, the fear of of loss of money or not making money, the fear of losing loved ones or respect to loved ones, the fear of, of social rejection, the fear of, of, of not having the health and the vitality if I work so hard, the fear of not being morally right. These are things that I find underlie what some people have labeled the fear of success. I usually find those are things in there. Makes but sense. I've never seen a fear of fear of achieving what you want in life. I don't, I don't find that. It's the fear of what will my, I had a guy recently that says, if I go out and make wealth, uh, my father will think I'm greedy and dirty and uh, corrupt. So I can't make more than he ever made. I mean, that was in his head. Wow. Now that was, that's wow. what he called an, anytime you infatuate with somebody and you put them on a pedestal, you're going to inject some of their belief systems and value systems. And you can trap yourself because you've got an infatuation with them and you're going to minimize yourself to them and brain offload decisions. And so their decisions come through your mind. And now you think, oh, I can't do it. Some people call it limited beliefs or self-sabotage, but there's nothing more than an imbalanced perspective of your relative to them. You balance the equation, you don't give them power. And I, there's a science on how to balance the equation. I, that's the Demartini method, you just balance it out. And when all of a sudden you do, that no longer happens. Anytime you hear yourself saying, I should, I ought to, I supposed to, I got to, I have to, I must, I need to, you've got an injected value by an outer authority. And I assure you that's gonna create symptoms in your life. Hmm. Not just your health life, but in other areas of your life. Yeah. And we've spoken a bit about that in the past around your highest value and, uh, you know, what I've ended up using um, as my, my big learning from our last chat was to just look at my diary every Sunday night and, and check in and go, actually, why the heck did I say yes to that? That has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm working on right now. Or that person is, you know, it creates a negative uh, energy in my life. And, um, and it's just such a powerful way to keep you uh, in balance, literally. Well, if you're not, if you're not asking yourself this question, a, a great question, because anytime you live by higher value, your self-worth goes up, your achievements go up, your congruency and integrity goes up, your space and time horizons expand, your resilience, adaptability, and objectivity go up. <clears throat> the benefits of living in your executive center and governing the amygdala is pr profound. I mean, it, it's gonna impact all areas of your life in a way that's gonna be expansive. But the second you look down on somebody and judge them and put yourself up in a pride state, which is not authentic, or put something in a pedestal and minimize yourself into a shame state, which is inauthentic, you're on your way to creating symptoms. Mm. You're going to create symptoms. And those symptoms are trying to give you feedback to let you know how to balance that. Yeah. Wow. So I'm thinking straight to uh, children's sports competition. When you said, put yourself in a pride state, you're out of balance. Uh, what was the opposite that you just said? Pride and pride or shame. Shame. A, a superiority complex, inferiority complex, false self-esteem up or false self-esteem down. There's all different names of different psychiatrists and psychologists have labeled it. 
Mm. But it's just an exaggeration. Aristotle called it an exaggeration, an excess or deficiency or an exaggeration or minimization of yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's a guarantee they're going to create symptoms. So are we basically laying the groundwork for our kids to grow up with symptoms by injecting this pride uh, in them from the get-go and uh, shame around losing? Yes. Um, yes. Wow. Yes. yes. So you know can, what's you, interesting? Can, you, is- can you, sorry, you, you finish, and then I was going to ask for you to guide us through a more helpful dialogue you, as you, we raise kids. You know what's funny? You know what's funny? Mm. Pride is based on a motor action on the person who's pride about something they did in the past or in their memory that that, that, uh, helped bring more benefits and drawbacks, more positives and negatives, more pleasures and pains to somebody. So when a parent says, I'm proud of you, child, believe it or not, they're not even aware that what that really means is I'm taking credit for what you're doing right now. Hmm. that's an interesting thing to to stop and reflect on if they're proud it's because they think that what they did with that child is now paying off and they're now actually proud of their actions impacting their child when they admire their child it's the child they're actually looking at but when they're proud of the child it's themselves they're actually projecting Hmm. and i don't think people even realize what the definition of pride and shame really mean because a shame is an assumption that you cause more pain and pleasure to somebody in the past. And pride is something you cause more pleasure than pain in the past. It's a causal illusion. So when you actually admire or infatuate with the child for them doing something, you go, I really admire your discipline and your skill at doing this. That's a different statement than I'm proud of you. Yeah, nice. Totally different statement. And people don't make those distinctions. And they're actually just projecting. That's why the second you get proud of your child, you just give it a, a short period of time and you'll be ashamed of them too. They're going to do both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're going to do something. If you, if you actually give them a bunch of acknowledgement, they're going to end up being proud, cocky, and then they're going to end up doing something that challenges values until you slam them again. Nature has a way of giving both a, a pat on the butt and a pat on the shoulder. And by the way, there's way more patting on our butts. It must be designed to take more more spankings. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'm joking about it. No, I know. I know. Um, and so, so then, um, like my son won a really tough tennis match against a kid three years older than him. The rocket serve, you know, bigger muscles, 12 to 15 is a big gap uh, in terms of development. I said at the end, uh, it was so inspiring to see you keep finding your chances in that match. I didn't say I'm proud of you. Um, is that, am I on track there? Is it better to find that language that helps them demonstrate their positive um, and so, resilient behavior? Like, can you give us a bit of a, like a Yeah. Imagine, now I've gotten to work with quite a few gold medalists in mm-hmm. various types of sports. <clears throat> and one thing I've observed about gold medalists, most of them, or superstars in, in various sports, is that they appreciate authorized criticism. Mm. They want a coach to give them feedback. See, the the person who's who's in their amygdala wants to avoid pain and seek pleasure, avoid predators, seek praise, uh, avoid criticism, seek praise. And those individuals don't go as far. 
Mm. The people that are addicted to praise are frightened of criticism and they, they mobilize themselves and they get addicted to one side and they're frightened of the other side. So they're almost not going to take chances in life. The individual who can embrace the challenge as much as the support equally and sees them simultaneous, those are the kids that go the farthest. So if all of a sudden you go there and you say to the child, the amazing how you served and synchronized and navigated through there, um, but I also noticed that you were not putting your whole hearted thrust in one of those things and give them praise and reprimand. They take that and they'll feedback that in and use that. Yeah. If you give them nothing but praise, you actually give them pride and that's almost guaranteed to make them fall. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I try to use, I always say praise plus reprimand builds respect. Think yeah. about a marriage. Are, are you married right now? I don't yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I status. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You've been married for a while. So the longer you've been married, the more you come to the realization that the spouse, the purpose of the spouse is not happiness. The purpose of the spouse is to get you authentic. Mm. So if you are cocky, they're going to bring you down. If you're humble, they're going to lift <laughs> you up. They're going to, they're going to give you praise and reprimand along the journey. Mm-hmm. And at first, you're going to want more praise and reprimand when you're maybe in your infatuation phase. But the reality is you're going to get both. When you can handle both, you're ready for a true mature love. And when you can handle both, you're ready for a true objective feedback. Otherwise, they're not really getting quality feedback. So I think that the, the children deserve both sides. Yeah. They deserve both sides. Yeah. Mm. I, I definitely said I think, what that's, what, I think <laughs> that's what a caring, loving individual will do. We'll give them yeah. feedback that's both sides. And we got to realize this too. This is the biggest challenge that parents have to face. Their own wounds initiate projections onto their children. Mm. So in other words, if they had something happen in their life and they're now go, oh, I never saw the benefits of that. I've been wounded by that for the last 40 years. And now I see my kid going through that. They're going to have compassion. Compassion is one wounded person of the past now identifying with the wound of another person. And then they're going to sympathize with them, which is actually going to make them not look realistically at what are the advantages of what just happened. And they're going to now sympathize them. And if they get attention out of that, you give false attention during sympathy like that, you can get them to go out and get in those dramatic situations in order to get attention. So you have to make sure that your your children are there to teach you how to clear your own wounds as you learn how to appreciate them. I think that's an important component because what we call caring is sometimes wound projection. We have to be careful about our own wounds, our own fears. I was, I was, uh, I remember my daughter, we went um, at New Year's on the day before New Year's, I think, uh, we went to a place where my son was born in California. My, my ship uh, came into San Diego and my kids flew out to meet with me. And we went down to where my son was born. And right next to that was a house that had a big wall. It was 20 foot and a, then a patio down below because the, the angle at Cardiff in California was at an angle. So my daughter, when she was like uh, six, seven years old, used to run on a six foot wide, I mean, six inch wide wall. That on one side, there's ground. On the other side is a 20-foot drop. And I used to watch her run on there. And she was confident. And she loved the thrill of running on that wall. Now, my wife at the time was absolutely devastated seeing it. And she wanted to run to the thing. And no, 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 you can't. It can't stop. Don't do that. That's scary. Because she fell off a wall. 
And so she was projecting her fears onto it. And if she would have actually done that while she's running on the wall, that would have distracted her and she could have fallen and her fear came near. So I topped, I said, stop. Don't project her fear on her. Let's have a discussion with her after she comes back. Because if she doesn't even know you're doing, she'd been doing this a hundred times. You didn't even know it. You're just now seeing it. And she's fine. And if she falls, she's going to survive. But the reality is, if you try to project your fear onto her, you're going to increase the probability of those things coming true because your own fear to teach you the lesson of that. Now, it's wise to educate on the repercussions of your action. So teaching her about you are aware if you fall, your bones will break. You're going to have this. You're ready for that. You know, you could, that this could happen. Educating them on the pros and cons is smart, but not projecting your fears onto them without also giving them the opportunity to be able to say, well, there's also exhilaration. I surfed 40 foot waves when I was a teenager, 15 year old, 16 year old, 40 foot waves. You can die in those things. I didn't have parents telling me what to do. I survived. So you could sit there and go, well, you would never, half the stuff that people do wouldn't be done if people projected their fears on you, you wouldn't get anything accomplished. Going to Mars with Elon Musk, there's lots of fears about that. Blowing up billions of dollars worth of explosions. I mean, all kinds of things. But that doesn't stop him. So you have to be careful about projecting of our own wounds on the past, because sometimes our wounds are being projected onto others, and we're trying to prevent people from our own wounds. Many parents project their own wounds onto their kids and try to protect him from things that frighten themselves. <clears throat> and don't define caring as projecting your own wounds. Because sometimes those own wounds um, are not, they're exaggerations of the pain of something instead of seeing both sides. And by the way, if you've ever tried to get your kids to learn something without them having to go through their own learning process, you'll find that's also very frustrating because they're sometimes not going to learn it until they're ready to learn it. <clears throat> but you can educate people on both sides, but don't project a polarized bias wound onto somebody. I had a gentleman who was trying to take his son and try to make sure his son lived up to the next level in a particular sport because he never quite reached that pinnacle. And so he was basically living vicariously through his son and forcing his son to do something his son didn't really want to do, but he didn't want to get rejection from the dad, didn't want to be punished by the dad, didn't want to not please the dad, but was just not inspired and was being pretty well aggressively challenged by the father because it wasn't high on the boy's values. It was the father's values. And so just like we can have a wound that we're trying to protect, and we can also have a wound that goes the other way. We're trying to encourage him to do something we think has got more pleasure than pain to, just like we can try to prevent them from doing something because we think there's more pain and pleasure to. And these subjective biases can be projected onto kids. And we, again, call it caring. And it's not always caring. It's just a wound. So I think parents are wise to self-reflect, self-introspect, and look at what is really driving their emotional reactions to their children. Uh, because some children have a, whatever is highest on the child's values where they're going to excel. And that is almost guaranteed not to be exactly the same as what the parents fantasize about. And so, you know, the, I always say the purpose of children is to express repression to the family. So if you, you can almost guarantee that, uh, you know, something that you think is important, you're going to have a child in there that's going to play the opposite role. You can almost guarantee that. 
So you, you, you don't want to project your expectations. Anytime you expect somebody else to live in your values, you have futility. Anytime you expect yourself to live in somebody else's values, you got futility. Anytime you learn how to communicate what you value objectively in terms of what other people value, you have utility. That's an art. Hmm. Wow. Fantastic. Well, I think we threw out the questions that we were supposed to be going through today once again and just got pure gold, John. I want to thank you for your time. That for me was an hour of uh, that I think will instigate self-reflection for many, many people. It's definitely got me thinking about a ton of things I want to reflect on and analyse and dive down my own rabbit hole of me as to how we all get to where we are, how, you know, we see our kids then if we're parents um, growing up and, and how we can support them best and be curious about their highest values instead of projecting our own. Thanks once again. Such a great uh, opportunity to spend this time together. Thank you. I appreciate it. Look forward to whenever we get to do it again. Thank you. We'll so have much. to because we didn't get through any of the questions. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's the perfection of it. Exactly. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a Lotox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Lotox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 Euro and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.